When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 235, Junior Developers Need to Hear This. That need is all in caps here. So we're going to be covering a bunch of other, or a bunch of, uh, I almost said otherworldly, otherworldly tasks for the junior, no. Uh, we're going to be talking about some rough times ahead with uh, tech layoffs and that type of thing, whether it's a recession or not, Leave that. I'll leave that to the economist. But um, we're going to be talking about, you know, the cr- the craziness, I'm sure, of the hiring and the wages and stuff that happened during the pandemic and how you can navigate the now sort of shrinking or seemingly shrinking tech economy um, with the layoffs and stuff like that. And, and should you be building skills still? Should you be running away and going to do something completely unrelated like construction or something? Uh, let's I mean, let's dive into that whole topic. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server or share this with your friends. So, Mike, you have here written rough times ahead. What does that mean? What does that mean for the junior dev? Yeah, exactly. So I, I wanted to make this episode. This is not meant to be like clickbaity or anything. It is a little bit, but it's not meant to be. I just really wanted juniors to come in here and listen because I've heard a lot of crazy things from different like devs coming into the industry, from devs that are in the industry, everything uh, that I just wanted to talk about. And I'm not going to debunk some stuff. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to sugarcoat as much, but I do want to kind of at least make it easier to understand where we're at right now and make it so that it's not all doom and gloom as well. That's another point of this episode. And I want to give actionable steps you can take to actually get to the point where you're hireable, even in a down market. Okay. So nothing is ever just, you know, a disaster. It's not, it's, this isn't, uh, even in the dot com crash, right? Of the 2000s there was still hiring going on in the tech world. And after the dot-com crash, obviously the hiring sped up even more. We're not in a dot-com level crash yet, right? Like we're not in the, like everything shutting down and only a couple giants coming out of it. We're not, we're not at that point yet. So not everything is doom and gloom. That's important to understand. And also there is still a lot of opportunity to be had in the industry. So junior developers that are just getting in, I understand that you're seeing all these layoffs that just constantly happen. Understand that, yes, those layoffs are happening, but a lot of them, first of all, are not developers. So these are tech layoffs. I'm putting tech in quotes. But realistically, a majority of those layoffs are managers, marketing, all of the other roles around development. Of course, there's some developers. Absolutely, there's developers in that. But I haven't found any reliable stats to say that it's the majority or anything like that. I don't think it's the majority. I think a lot of companies are just shrinking a little bit at this time. It's still only shrink, like the companies like Google, Meta, Microsoft, Amazon, they're shrinking, you know, by five, 10% of their workforce. Their workforce is massive. They grew even more like crazy amounts during the pandemic. And now I think it's just a course adjustment. That's how I see this. Again, I'm not an economist, but I'm just kind of just trying to keep my head on the ground. I'm trying to talk to people in the industry. A lot of them are just kind of trucking on, especially the developers. And I am seeing (coughs) job positions opening up at even the companies that are being laid off, that are having layoffs. I know Twitter had a recent hiring scree. We've all know, we all know what's going on with Twitter. Even Twitter has some job openings. Okay. You know, the thing, the thing with the pandemic was, it was an unknown. I think people forget that it was an unknown for a long time. We, I mean, at least here in Canada, we kind of got used to it where we'd go through, Oh, there's a lot of cases of, of COVID-19. Let's have a lockdown. And then, you know, that's a drab, but then, okay, let's open back up again, maybe for the summer or whatever, when the cases are low and then the cases creep back up. Okay. Let's do a lockdown. And we, we got used to the lockdown stuff. 
in varying degrees. Oh, we can't, oh, we can eat indoors. We can't eat indoors. And certain things were, were changed on that. And I'm not trying to create a narrative on that. I'm just trying to say that we got used to it, but we never knew when it was going to end. And even earlier, before we got used to it, it was always a question of, is this going to end tomorrow? Is this going to end in two years? Is this a 10 year thing? Are we going to have like a serious logistical problem? Um, where we're going to have no truck drivers or, you know, there was so many question marks and it was, oh no, we're going to have essential industries. And then there was question as to what was essential industries and stuff like this. And tech took off because we leaned on our tools as humans do. And tech being one of those big tools, we leaned on those tools more than ever to bring us through all this where, oh, you can't go see your family, but here, use this Zoom, you know, use these video chat tools. Uh, you can't, you can't, uh, work from home, but hey, if you need to spin up quick, cloud computing is there for you with with Azure and um, just Word and all the services, which isn't even necessarily cloud computing, but you can store your stuff on OneDrive and you can store yourself on OneDrive for business and all that type of thing. And so these tech companies, they don't know either. They don't know what's going to happen. They're just, okay, let's go. And largely these tech companies were equipped largely to work from home already. But now they have to give more work from home services to the masses. But furthermore, because we don't know how long this thing's going to go, they're not just going to offer the same services. They're going to start trying to compete with each other where Zoom just took off. We're on Zoom right now. Mike and I are on Zoom right now. I never heard of Zoom before the pandemic. And everyone was like, oh, use Zoom, use Zoom. And I thought that was so weird, so bizarre because we have Skype, we have Teams, we have WhatsApp, we have all these services, Google Duo, all these services that we can video chat on. And then Zoom becomes a staple, which is which was very bizarre. Um, and so what I'm saying is, is that there was there was there's such an there was such an unknown that tech companies would be like, hey, we need to we might need to have another 500 people to beat Zoom, because if this thing lasts more than three years, four years, five years, if this thing lasts a decade, we can't just be sitting there as number two. We want the number one spot in video communications. We want to go up the ladder. If I'm in the fourth place, I want to go to the third place. So they they need innovators. But then as things sort of calm down and all that stuff in the pandemic is largely over here. Yes, I know people are still getting sick and stuff, but as the uh, restrictions and the, the changes to your daily life, the lockdowns, those things are gone. Now it's like, okay, um, business as usual. And all those people that they hired in the, in the, the chaos of we need to beat our competitors. We need more home work from home. We need to, you know, we need, we need, we need, we need that needs gone or it's largely gone. And so now they need to shrink. That's that's my take on it. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, it's a course correction. That's how I see it as well. Like Zoom, for instance, just as an example, laid off 1,300 people last week, I believe, or two weeks ago. Um, that's 15% of its workforce. So they have, you know, 10,000 workers, something like that. Zoom is a one-product company. So what's the reason for them to have that many workers, really? Like, realistically, what's everyone doing on a product like Zoom? Zoom... Zoom has a lot of complicated services, sure, internally, but in in reality, if you kind of go down and look at it vertically on each department side, there isn't there just isn't enough work in these companies to be able to facilitate the growth that these companies had during the pandemic. Okay. So this is a course correction back to at least somewhat somewhat scope of reality, where now people are going to go into teams of actual products um, that matter to a company, hopefully, right? And not just try to find projects for these teams because we're hiring them. I know that that was happening in some companies. Some companies obviously laid off the wrong people. Some companies laid off the light people. All this is not an easy decision being made by any company. Uh, and it's not a correct decision all the time either, right? Like when you're laying off thousands of people, a lot of the people you're going to be laying off are super talented. But the choices that are made way above you, 10, 20 layers above you, are not going to know what you've done for whatever company enough to hire you. But you're you're, you're a number at the yeah, end of the day yeah. with some of the larger companies. If you're a, a team of 10 people, everyone knows, knows your name, you know. But if you're if you're in a company of thousands of people, someone just goes, we need to shrink this department, get rid of everyone with seniority level below this in this department. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's why you should always think of yourself. That's why you should always, 
you know, you're not in a family when you're working. I think we all know this. Like that's kind of become a cliche anyway. I don't, I don't, I've never heard of a company say we're a family anymore because they know it's kind of ridiculous. But regardless, that it's just, this just resolidifies that point of like, Hey, you're in it for yourself. If you can find something better, go right. Like always try to look ahead, always try to get to the next spot. Um, and always try to also contribute as much as you can to the company that you're working at. Because when they're making those decisions, for the most part, they are going to be looking at the people that are the biggest difference makers to stay. That's just logical. So if you can be a difference maker in the company, you have higher job security. Not perfect job security because, again, 10 layers above, no matter how good you are, sometimes that decision is going to be made regardless. But the high, the more crucial you are, the less chance there is to be laid off. That's just the reality of it. So – even At that's least, a dangerous, yeah. like slippery slope, though, because that that lends almost to the the argument or the conversation on crunch in a way, where sometimes the only way for you to stand out or the only way that you know how to stand out in your particular role is to crunch or really provide a lot of value, a lot of code, a lot of marketing. If you're in the marketing department, a lot of you know enter your field here, and sometimes that becomes this chaos of and, and the controversy really of do I sleep on the floor or my cubicle <laughs> and then shower at work and and do that like what else am I going to be doing like why would I do hobbies why wouldn't I work here and then that spawns an entire question of well does work-life balance matter you know does it like, yes it does mental health well like this person wants to work and then you know it's it splinters off into a million and one topics of conversation but I just wanted to address that, that sometimes if you're like, oh, I should stand out, what I'll do is I'll work 90 hours instead of the 40 hours a week that I'm supposed to work. And then the one week that I'm sick or something and I only work the only, quote unquote, work the 40 hours, people are going to be raising an eyebrow being, hey, why is that guy not getting this done? Why is that guy not getting this done? I do have a friend in IT, actually, Mike and I talked about him several times, where He'll just work all weekend and he'll work on stuff like this. He'll work on like little remote things and he'll work on little things that he can get done and this and that. And I, and I warned him, I said, unless you're clocking those hours and logging those hours, I'm not saying don't, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, you shouldn't do a good job or anything like that. But I told him you're doing this every weekend and they're going to get used to it and they're going to expect this level of work output from you. And then what will happen is you will get busy. And then you'll have a problem. And then he got older, started having kids and stuff. And now he has pro- has a problem where people are thinking, hey, what? why is this guy not outputting as much work? Well, he doesn't, maybe he doesn't have that free weekend. Maybe he only has two hours free in the weekend now. And he doesn't have eight hours. And, you know, the list goes on. And so it becomes this question of, you know, how, like, stand out, sure. But, like, how? And you should be cautious that way because I know a lot of people are just are just the only idea in their head is there to crunch or really to crush it by crushing their own work life balance. It's it's a really 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 important point, Matt, uh, because there are different ways to stand out. That would, the way that you described is probably the worst way because it not only affects you personally, like you mentioned that perfect example of like, Hey, this person now has lower output because he's working regular 40 hours that affects negatively on him. So that's, that's bad. But while you're crunching and you're putting in 80 hours a week, the team around you is also forced to kind of match you a little bit, right? Because if all of a sudden they're have half the output of another team member, then your manager, if he's not aware of this, is going to think that the other team, the other people are slacking. This person's doing regular work. So it, it, it affects everyone on the team. And that's why it has to come from management. Management has to be aware of what's going on in their team. Remote work is very difficult right now. Even in office work, sometimes you don't understand what's happening, but even with remote work, especially like you don't know how much people are working. And that's a huge problem. And that's what people are talking about now about the return to office. And I say that in quotes because like, People during remote work might have been working way more than they were in office because there's no control there, right? There's no, like, there's nothing stopping them from going the next three, four hours. Uh, there's no manager looking at them. So it, it really falls on the management to set a standard of like, Hey, we want you to work hard, but work for 40 hours a week. Like that is our, that's what we want and check in with people, making sure that they're all working there. And I personally have a manager right now that does this. 
Like they make sure that we're not overworking ourselves and not making it so that other people on the team are trying to set the bar to our level because it looks bad on everyone, including management. Because all of a sudden management is now going, going to their manager and being like, hey, I have one person on my team that's killing it and two people that are kind of just dragging along. Not really because the dragging along people are actually just working regular hours, but now they have to explain that. So now it's just like a whole turmoil thing. So it's really, really important to understand what Matt's saying here in that to stand out, it's not about working more hours. It's about working more efficiently during your hours and doing things that will make you stand out, taking initiative, right? If there's a problem that you're seeing, tell people about the problem. This is an example. Tell people about the problem and then try to solve it, right? Yourself. Don't wait for a ticket to come in. Try to make a ticket. And try to do all the actual steps, connect the right people together, right? Be part of the facilitating the communication and then also document the whole process as you're doing it. So tell, tell the people that need to hear about what you're doing, what you've done to solve the problem. It's all about like putting yourself out there as much as you can to the company so that they know what you've actually done. If you're just siloed and you're not talking to anyone and you're doing a great job, that's great, but does the manager really know that you've done like the people that are making the decisions of hiring or firing or promoting? Do they know that you've done all this? Have you documented it? Have you talked to them about it? Those are the kinds of things that I'm more saying to do is make sure that you're communicating, make sure that you're, you have a list of things that you've accomplished for the company, make sure that you're actually accomplishing something for the company, right? Like I know a lot of people will just kind of phone it in and that's fine. If you, if you're in that kind of position and you're fine with it. Okay. Right. Like if you can, you can. Uh, but realistically, if you want to have that job security, phoning it in is probably not going to help in these kinds of times. The people that care enough to try and stand out already have a good trait and more than likely will be successful. So I've seen people in at work be the person that, you know, shows up the earliest, leaves the latest, and then they just get laid off. But that person's not all of a sudden absolutely screwed. That person is, they, they leave and they go to another opportunity. And I've seen also people that, according to their own, their own account, got overworked and then they leave and they go work somewhere else and they get possibly paid more or equivalent and they work a third of the amount or 66% of the amount. Like, let's say they get another, an extra third off of their time. And those people are realistically like they're kind of hustlers in a way where, yeah, they're, they're not running their own business or whatever, but they're in the office. They're finding those ways. They're being opportunistic in standing out. And those people care enough. And those people generally will be okay in a layoff situation. Not everyone, of course, but those people will generally be okay. But the person that shows up, barely does anything, kind of hangs around, does whatever, um, and doesn't, you know, doesn't update the resume and it just doesn't care about absolutely anything. Those people have a lower chance of being okay. Correct. <clears throat> that it, it's, it's another good point. Like in my opinion, if you're one of those go-getter hustler types, um, what we need, what you need to do is instead of doing that go-getter hustler type for the company that you're working for, do it for yourself. So if you have that extra four hours a day that you just want to fill with coding, start your own thing, build your own start, like build your own SaaS, build your own website, do a blog, whatever, start your own thing and put that four hours into leveling up your own skills that you are interested in that, that are required to build whatever you want to build. Cause that's going to pay off 10 X, not talking money wise. I'm talking skill wise. I'm talking confidence. I'm talking leveling up in different companies and being more hireable than just going four hours extra onto, into a company and, you know, doing a couple more meetings and finishing off a couple of lines of code. Like that's just, it just doesn't have the same effect. And again, if you're doing that extra four hours for a company, you're again, you're negating other people's work and we don't even, the manager might not even know you're doing that. You're like you're, you, you might be wasting your time like literally wasting your time completely. So it's really important to understand that balance of like, hey, this is a 40 hour a week job. I mean, if you do 41, 42 hours, that's fine. Like no one, like that's, that's okay. Like if you need to put a little overtime, you put a little overtime to stand out, that's fine. But if you're all of a sudden approaching, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours. Consistently, especially. 
And that happens a lot. Like this, we're, we're not talking about like edge cases here. We're talking like in the tech industry, this can happen. I've done it to you. I've yeah. done it. I used to always put in like an extra 45 minutes to an hour a day. Yeah. And it, it's, it's an easy thing to do. But if you are doing that, you have to start questioning and the management should start questioning it as well. They need to bring it down. So it's just, it's all, it, it's a difficult thing. This isn't really like directed exactly at junior developers right now. Like the, the title suggests, this is directed at people that are in the job. But regardless, one thing that is applicable to the junior developer side is the, again, I'm putting air quotes around this, passion. Passion is kind of a, a word that I think people don't like to hear anymore. Uh, they, they, they associate it with overworking and stuff like that. But it is part of the process of getting a job as well. When you're in an interview process, if you've gotten the, into the interview stage, a developer that shows a certain amount of passion that shows that they like what they're doing is going to outweigh a developer that is just there for the money. Like, and is just there kind of answering the questions, even if the guy's answering the questions correctly. And the other guy has like one or two questions wrong, but he's like, Oh man, that's how I would fix this. That's how I would do this. This is what I did in my last job. This is what I did on my side project. You can see that they're interested and it makes a huge difference when you're talking about getting a job. Even if you have to fake the passion, I say this to people all the time. Like when you're in the interview process, try to show that you're passionate, even if you're not right? Because that really does make a huge difference. I'm telling you right now, that's directed at junior developers for sure. So that kind of is an important step you have to take in your own career process because it is possible to fake the passion, but not for a very long time. When you're in the process of becoming, getting into tech, getting into development specifically, I'm not talking about tech as a career, as in like marketing in tech or whatever. I'm talking about develop, being a developer in tech, right? You need to find the balance of like, hey, I like this and I could see myself doing this for X amount of time a day and like liking it. And like, obviously, this is going to be a job. So it's not going to be perfect all the time, but you have to at least somewhat like it, in my opinion, to get somewhere far in the industry because it's a grind. Like it is, it becomes a grind when you're in it. It 100% becomes a grind and it's a, it's a mental grind, not a physical grind. Obviously it is a very serious mental grind. And if you hate it, it's difficult to hide away from that hate. Right. So I've, I've had jobs where I was like a dishwasher. Okay. I hated being a dishwasher. It was not a great time. There were certain aspects, like small little aspects of community, like walk, talking to people and hanging out with people that I kind of liked. But for 90% of the job, I friggin' hated it. And all, my entire focus of that job was like, this is just a stepping stone. This is just a stepping stone. I'm never going to do this for the rest of my life. Obviously, I would not have gone very far in that job, right? And it's the same thing with any of these kinds of jobs. If you're a developer in every single minute of it, including the, the learning stages, you're, you're hating it. You need to find a way for you to like adjust Either you're thinking or the way you're learning or the way you're doing it to, to find some sort of joy in it, to find, to find what you like. And that, again, that will bleed into everything else that you do. Like when we're going to talk about it shortly where to start, like the learning the fundamentals and stuff like that, that's going to bleed into all of that. And then how do you apply to jobs? That's going to bleed into it. The passion, the passion definition, I think is a problem too. And I don't know if you've seen, you've, <clears throat> Excuse me, I have, I have a cold, as you might not have heard, or as you may have heard already. But um, the one thing I, I, I've noticed is the passion definition. I don't know if you've noticed this, Mike, is people are trying to pigeonhole it, where they're trying to be like, if you're passionate, you do these four things. If you're passionate, you do this. Be passionate about your job. Make sure you. But to me, like the passion is a bit weird because it's just like how many things are in life. It's not one way or the other. It's in between. It's in the gray area. And like, I'll be passionate, let's say about creating stuff. And I won't even think about that, but every single time I'm not creating something, like, let's say I'm really bogged down in a project where I'm just arguing with a team of other techs. We're trying to get a site up and I'm like, man, like, let's put this up and, oh, we'll wait, we'll do this. And it's like, no, let's just do this now. Let's get it over with. And so I'm like, I'm stuck in the slog and I'm not creating something. Or if I'm in a job where I'm just sort of working away doing IT stuff, which is fine because I like tech, but I'll always think to myself, oh, I can, you know, maybe make YouTube videos one day or I can maybe like that's my default. 
And so like, I'm not thinking about how, you know, being a creator is my passion and I need, I need to draw and I need to, 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 to paint. And I need, I'm not thinking in that sort of stereotypical, say almost textbook or um, a dictionary definition of passion, but it's my default. It's okay. I'm going to go and, you know, I'm going to go and create stuff. Like even I'm playing video games and I'm thinking to myself, Oh, I could take these clips and publish them. Like, why am I thinking that? You know, why am I doing that? We've been doing a, a, a video game podcast for no money for years. And it's like, cause we like doing it. And the, the Mike's hundred percent right is I think people think that when you're passionate about something that the struggles come easier and I would say the struggles don't come easier. The fallout does. So sometimes we'll have a hell of a time getting a recording set up or we'll have an argument with another podcast member or we'll have an argument over not even an argument over a debate or a problem scheduling things. Um, or when, you know, we're working on a site, maybe I've created the site and I think it's really cool. But then there's the argument part where I'm arguing with whomever is hosting it. And I'm like, hey, just put this up, like, come on, like, go. And then they won't do it. And, you know, it becomes this thing. Those struggles, those bumps in the road do naturally happen. And the fact that I continually want to work in, you know, enter industry here or enter field here, uh, makes it, uh, makes it easier for me to, to, to weather those storms. Because once that hosting provider finally does what they're supposed to be doing, or, you know, once I've figured out an easy way to take clips without capture cards and this and that and the other thing, now it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to continue doing that. And you kind of, you, like you want to keep pushing it forward. It's not like, okay, I figured this out. I'm washing my hands of this and I'm leaving. And we, we'll see, Mike and I have seen um, web developers, especially if they're freelancers or running their own agencies, they will constantly, there'll be, there'll be, there's a constant conversation on pricing, but now more recently, there's a, there's seemingly a constant conversation on, do you like the project? And like Mike and Mike knows it, I've worked on a project over the last couple of years that just like destroyed me. Like I couldn't handle it. I was going crazy. Couldn't, couldn't sleep. I was going nuts. And like, I was doing the same things that I've done for other projects and I'm not blaming the client. I'm not blaming the project itself, but I was going crazy. I couldn't handle it. And I'm not one to like really look after my own mental health, although probably I should, but I, I, I'm not one to do that. But that was at one point where I was like, I'm not good. I'm not doing good. And it was because the project really sucked and there's no end in sight. It was just like, well, I guess we're just doing this for the next indefinite amount of time, 10 years. I guess I just have this thing that's going to constantly weigh me down. And that like during drains that passion. So what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, you're not always going to be like, yeah, let's do this next thing. Yay. Let's do this next thing. But uh, as long as you're pushing forward, your maybe overarching goal or you're you're working in the field you like where 90% of it you like and 10% of it you hate or even 66% of it you like and 33% of it you hate those type of things it, it's a different feeling and your default at least for me the default my defaults point to my passions i'm not thinking like oh i just love creating but every single time i'm i'm given something i'm like can i post that you know, it's the first thing I think of. So clearly I'm driven to do that. So it, it, it's not necessarily this textbook definition of loving every second. That's a good, yeah, exactly. Loving every second is not the right, <clears throat> not the right way to put it. I actually also have a cold, so. Oh, good. Pa- apologize just- to everyone. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, uh, that's, it, that's, I. it's a good thing to get across to the audience, I think is because I think when people are like, oh, I just hated it for a day or two. Like, I'm not part, like, I'm not, uh, this isn't for me. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, like, if you hate it every single day of every, every second, then it's a question that you have to ask yourself of how do you adjust it so that you can start to tolerate it and start to like it more, right? Like, you need to take steps to, steps to adjust to liking it before you just drop everything because you hated it for a day. Like, that's not, I hate my job for a day all the time. Like I'll have a day a week where I'm just like, this sucks, whatever I'm doing. It, that's, but I'll have like three or four days a week where I'm happy with what I'm doing or at least tolerable and it's fine. Right. And that's how I find that balance is like, I'm, for the most part, I like what I'm doing. I have bad days though. And that's okay. 
before, okay, so before we get into like where to start, like my my advice for everyone, which I've already given some, but regardless, I do want to talk a little bit about AI because I know that's another one of those things that people are afraid of right now. So layoffs are one thing, understandable. There's a lot of turmoil in the tech industry right now. It's very much volatile. I think this is normal. I think that this volatility is to to have been expected with the growth that we had, like it had to have come down a little bit. I don't think it's anything to panic about. There is going to be more growth ahead. There's going to be more volatility ahead. It's a cycle. So that shouldn't stop you. ChatGPT came out recently and AI is talked about a lot because it has taken a leap in performance, right? Like, so we went from something that could passably, you know, help assist a person, uh, in like a, a, a very typical chatbot esque application where someone asks like frequently asked questions and they get answers to something that could almost pass off as a human. Like we went there pretty quickly without any sort of pretext to it. So chat GPT has thrown a wrench into the whole, like, Oh my God, like we're, we're getting there. Like AI is starting to get to the point where it's useful, like useful on a day-to-day basis for everyday workers, office workers, or creators, or whatever. We went sprinting into Uncanny Valley. We didn't go, like, quickly or very very slowly, like, limping in. We went full-on sprint. Correct. We had nothing, 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 and then all of a sudden, bam, we have an actual product that can be used. It's it's kind of insane to me. Um, And, again, we had an episode recently about AI is not going to take your job yet. I still have that stance. I have played with it a lot more now, so I have way more experience with it. I do use it on a pretty daily basis, whether it be GitHub Copilot, which is, again, powered by the same platform as ChatGPT, or ChatGPT itself. But again, I have kind of a similar stance in that uh, it's not taking your job yet. I'm not saying it's not going to take away jobs from the industry though. So this is something that I have started to think about a little bit more. So junior developers talking to you right now, uh, a lot of what ChatGPT is very good at is, you know, documentation, uh, solving basic problems, stuff like that. So there is a situation where like a smaller development team could hire one less junior developer, right? Maybe rely more on AI tools coming up in the next like one to two to three years. Okay. There is a situation where that could happen. But again, just like with any tool that has come in the past, no code tools, uh, any other optimization languages, like languages used to be extremely complex. They've gotten easier and easier and easier. And yet tech has evolved more and more and more because the more you can do with it faster, the more you'll do with it. Like the, the more complex your tasks will become. So just because we're able to now utilize tools that make some of the processes more efficient doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to be hiring more people across the board. There might be more companies coming into the mix now because they see an opportunity where they didn't see one two or three years ago because of ChatGPT. So it could open up opportunities. We don't know any of this yet, but this is my prediction where like anytime this destructive tech comes in, into tech specifically, it usually opens up opportunities. Like you're seeing right, if you look right now in terms of the AI hiring spree that's going on. So there, there's a, there's layoffs. That's for sure. But in the AI department, in the AI sector, there's a hiring spree like crazy right now. So, and not only for AI, like, you know, machine learning algorithm specialists, I'm talking about like from all different perspectives. So with any disruptive technology will come opportunity as well. So some teams might shrink, but other opportunities might arise. And and those AI, that AI hiring spree will po- probably result in layoffs yeah, because they'll sure. overhire again. So it's just the waves of the industry, one could argue. Yeah. And the Web3 hiring spree ended up in layoffs and everything like that. Like that's just a typical, it's a typical cycle though. Like right now, I think what's happening is that it's all kind of happening at the same time because of the pandemic hiring craziness that happened. But usually this is happening even in like 2018, 2017, 2016. Like there's just, you know, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys for small, especially for small verticals like AI, uh, Web3, like uh, AR, VR was another huge one that like had a huge hiring spree and then tapered off. So you can expect that to happen. There's nothing to panic about. Um one thing I do recommend everyone do as junior developers is learn the tools. ChatGPT is free right now. 
Uh, GitHub Copilot is not very expensive at a monthly cost. If you learn to use them, you'll become a more efficient developer and you'll, you'll be able to talk about it in your interview that, Hey, I can, I rely on ChatGPT to do some of my testing. I rely on ChatGPT to do some of my, uh, documentation for my code. That puts you ahead because now you're up to date on the newest tech that can help the company right now do more with less people. Right. Like that's all it's all it's about. And now now you're now you're a higher, very much a hireable person because you're skilled in a new tool. Not everyone like a non-developer. I keep saying this over and over again. A non-developer cannot just take JetGPT and all of a sudden create a full fledged application, deploy it and have it production ready. It's just not possible at the moment. You still need to be a developer to be able to go through this, the all the errors that it's going to have. ChatGPT is not perfect. Far from it. You still need to be a developer to be able to know how to deploy it, even if you are following a step-by-step guide, right? You still need to be a developer to be able to add other functionality outside of ChatGPT's capabilities. So, like, it's it, there's so many different things that still require a senior, junior, intermediate-level developer on all stages. It's just, again, I don't want to sugarcoat it because there is going to be some uh, some jobs that will – they'll just need less people on the team to complete because of these tools. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know, Matt, if you have anything else to say on the AI front, uh, like, are you concerned about it or anything like that? I know it probably doesn't touch you particularly. Right I, now. I'm not afraid of it. I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's, that's naivety or stupidity, but I don't care. Um, Cause if it comes for my job, then there it goes. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not going to be the wall. I'm not going to be Gandalf stopping the Balrog here. You know, I'm not going to be like, no, you can't, Stop! Like, there's developers back here. <laughs> um, that's it. I'm just gonna keep keep on keeping on and do what I normally do. Of maybe you know keep an eye on things, take a look at where AI is, and if opportunities open up in other areas, they open up in other areas. If they don't, they don't. I mean, we were terrified that farms were going to be fully automated, and we still got farmers. <laughs> so we still got human farmers, and that's been years and years and years in the making. We still got humans working in factories. So uh, even gigafactories, which is arguably the most modern type of factory. So um, I'm just not afraid of it. I, I don't know whether that's stupid, but it's just like the times will change. I mean, you and I used to write all our sites in vanilla and now we don't. <laughs> that was a change. And it wasn't like I came kicking and screaming into WordPress and other tools. So that's that, that's my take on it, honestly. And that's a good take. It's a tool. Learn to use it. Okay, so I'm going to get into the next segment here, which is where to start, right? So we had a one of our first episodes. In fact, probably our first episode was where to start for a developer on their journey, right? Having said all the what I've said before, so crazy times, layoffs, it does change some things. Like you're not – because they're hiring less, there is less opportunities. So you have to try to maximize the opportunities that are available. That's just the reality. Right now, my recommendation is to do pretty much the same as I did before, but really hyper-focus, really hyper-focus on the stuff that's going to get you hired. So the fundamentals, that's the first thing. We've always talked about this, the three pillars, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Understand those very well, right? Get, you know, do courses within them, watch YouTube videos, build projects, everything you can to learn the the three fundamentals, just so you understand how everything else is going to work. And by understanding that, by, by conquering that initial pillar, those initial pillars, everything else will kind of build on top of it. I can guarantee you that. And when you get into an interview position or when you get into your first job position, it'll be easier because no matter how much you, you follow a, a roadmap or a guideline, the first job is always going to be completely different. So you're going to have like, hey, you know, you learn Next.js. Maybe the first job is Next.js, but we're doing it, you know, with some other uh, state management library and some other rendering thing. And there's like we're combining three different sources here and we're just using vanilla JavaScript for this. Like that's reality of how legacy code bases are. So if you don't understand the basic concepts behind what's driving web development technologies, it's going to be very difficult for you to then integrate into a team that's using all of these different technologies in really weird different ways. <laughs> that's 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 the truth. Now, what's changed a little bit is like, in my opinion, still right now, 
the most important technology to learn to get a job is Next.js, which is a, a framework on top of React and TypeScript. If you look at jobs around you right now, that's going to be a good indicator that that's still an important task for you to do. But when I took a look, Next.js, React, and TypeScript were mentioned in the majority of placements. Okay. I love Vue. I love Svelte. They're all, they're both really, really great technologies. And in some places, especially internationally, I've heard that Vue is starting to take over. <clears throat> but if you're in, based in the US, which most of our listeners are, and if you're based in Canada, you are, you need to kind of fo- hyper focus on the stack. TypeScript has become a pretty much an industry standard, at least for hiring. So when people are hiring, they're hiring TypeScript devs right now. I'm not saying that like, you know, majority of projects on the internet are using TypeScript. That's a bad indicator anyway, because majority of projects on the internet are not visited at all. Like majority of sites are not clicked on or not visited at all on the internet, 90%, 95%, whatever. What you need to worry about is what's being hired for right now. And that's what it is. Next, what you want to do is when you learn the basic concepts and you probably do this anyway, you're going to need to build projects. So projects are one of the most important ways to differentiate yourself during your first initial time as getting getting hired as a developer. When you're going into an interview, <clears throat> they're going to ask you to talk about projects that you've built. Before you get to an interview, they're going to look at a portfolio with GitHub repos, whatever, however you want to present it, of projects that you've built. The recommendation now is about three to four solid projects, well-documented, well-built, uh, depending on what you're looking for. If it's like a, you know, React, Next.js, build out like, build out, you don't have to build out clones of things. I think clones has kind of become a little bit of a cliche and become kind of looked down upon. Try to build stuff with a little bit of a twist to it. So if you're, if you're building a to-do list, for instance, build a to-do list that fits your specific day schedule. Right. Like, so if you're more of a night person, build a night to do list. I don't know what that looks like. They just add some sort of crazy build a night to do list. Well, like a to do list that specifically is better for night owls. I don't know. Like, uh, go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) Go go to bed or maybe that, like, make sure that you have an X amount of sunlight during the day before you start your tasks. I don't know. I'm, I'm talking craziness right now, but I'm just saying, like, a small little tweak on a traditional idea can make you stand out a little bit. If you just so they're, they're asking, list. employers are asking for creativity to an extent. A little bit of creativity, it, it, mainly not because of to be creative, like not because you have an amazing idea, but more because like, hey, how do you, how are you able to take this like easily reproducible project that you could have followed tutorial step by step and actually like put your own code in there? That's more the reasoning behind that because there's just so many like, Netflix clones out there that you could follow step to by step by step and create a full on Netflix clone without having to really write anything. Right. Whereas if you have a Netflix, if you, if you do a Netflix clone, but you, you have to pull from your own library that you've spun up an AWS instance, this might be a little bit crazy, but I'm just saying like a Netflix clone, like you're making a Plex clone now, but you're doing it with your own library and you have your own kind of organization system or whatever. That's a different project. Right. I'm going to ask you a question here. Is this, do we have a sustainability problem in this industry? And by, what I mean by that is, Hey, you want to be, you want to work here? You want to be at the, the, the bottom of the rung? You want to be a junior developer? Come up with a great idea and make a, make a, make a business. Like how, how so, sustainable is this? Everybody make businesses, make side businesses. Like, come on, everybody. Is that a sustainability problem? So the business doesn't have to actually be a business. That's not what I'm saying is, is that it's just a tweak on an idea that you, that you deploy. It does not have to be used by actual users. Like you don't have to promote it or anything like that. But what I guess I'm saying is, is the idea mill is going to run out eventually. Like uh, this might be, I might be going too extreme here. I might be thinking too extremely, but like to me, it's like, okay, you know, you you've exercised that you know how to do CSS transitions and animations with this particular project I'm looking at. For example, I need someone who can do animations in the, in CSS. So therefore, hooray, you know, but like, I'm not going to ask them to be like, Hey, like <laughs> make sure you have a server that can transcode and like process payments and do all this other stuff. Like maybe some companies do do that. I do recall a story. Maybe I read it on Reddit or something. 
so I don't know if a source, this was years ago now where the, where somebody was posting on uh, GitHub and their personal GitHub all the time. They were using their personal GitHub, filling up the green squares, you know, whatever. And they went to go work at a company. So they stopped pushing to that personal GitHub. And then they went to go interview at another company at some point down the road. And the guy said, Hey, you know, I noticed that you aren't publishing on your GitHub. And he's like, Oh yeah, because as you can literally see in the timeline, one-to-one, I started working at a company and then I was coding all day. So I didn't need to push to the personal GitHub. And he's like, well, you know, you can, you could do that. You know, it's not a big deal. Just like, just do it. Just when you get home, just do it for a bit. And he says, well, no, like I, you know, I have a newborn and I have another kid or something like whatever. I have a couple of young kids at home. I can't do that. And he, and then the, the person interviewing responded with, well, I have a, you know, 14 year old and 18 year old or something. And I still do it where there's a will, there's a way. And it's sort of like, do we have a sustainability problem here where it's sort of like, Hey, just code all the time. What are you doing? And then it's like, but also be happy, but also make sure you do vacations, but also make, it's like, take your Soma. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's crazy. But I, I think I think what you're what you're describing is a toxicity issue rather than like a sustainability problem. I think there is toxic people like that, like toxic managers and toxic hiring managers and toxic owners. I don't think it's a majority. Um, I don't think it's anything that you have that you can plan against. That's my that's my suggestion to everyone is like those situations exist. They're usually one off situations. So like in 20 interviews, you might get one interview that's kind of crazy like that. So don't plan for it. Like if, if someone requests that you have a fully green square GitHub thing, even if you're not working full time. Perform at perfection. Yeah, Go that's on. what I mean. That's a <laughs> you know? useless requirement and you should not, you should not like give that any thought. Having a, that's what I was getting at is yeah. like whether these the people listening no. today that are looking at, you know, where to start or like how to differentiate themselves or like how to like whether this these rough times. Do they have to be like, oh, okay, now I got to like really dig in. I got to have a perfect GitHub thing. I got to, and it just starts getting wild. So again, you don't have to have a perfect GitHub thing. You don't have to be perfect in any way, shape or form. Uh, you just need to, again, what I'm suggesting is, is just one way to get into it as well. I'm not saying that, hey, if you do X, Y, Z steps, you're 100% going to get a job because there's a lot of variables here. But regardless, I've seen this, this step work where you have, Three solid projects, again, a little bit differentiated. They don't have to be fully production-ready applications or anything like that, well-documented, whatever. Um, and then that shows that you're able to create – that shows that you're able to code, right? Like usually I, there's some new companies that won't even do a coding interview if they see that – if they look through your GitHub history and understand that you're able to code. It doesn't have to be perfect. Obviously, they're not looking for perfect code from you. Right. Like they're not expecting every line to be the most optimized thing in the world. But if it's all co coherent and exists in the same kind of pattern, you're using all the right tooling that they're going to be using or similar tooling that you could you, you've shown that you can learn new technologies. It, it just puts you ahead. Again, we're in a situation where layoffs are happening. There's AI, all that stuff. So you need to differentiate a little bit. Not to the extreme that Matt's saying with like the, the those stories exist 100%. But don't worry. Those are edge cases. Get them out of the way. Like, just don't worry about them. Just, just weather, weather that storm, but don't yeah. prepare for it. And, and and tell those stories and and expose those people as well. <laughs> like, in my I opinion. I, I mean, I've definitely like wrote a, wrote a, a, a recently a very large blog post about a pretty crazy interview I had. I definitely didn't out the person, though. Everything feel, was anonymized. Yeah, I, I don't know about outing a person. I, that's up to them. But like, I, we need we need more of that. Honestly, we need people to be outed because this this kind of stuff is so dumb, and should be should be looked down on. Um, next thing here is practice lead code. Unfortunately, in the industry, a lot of even entry level roles will ask you to do some basic lead code problems. Lead code problems are just algorithm solving problems, like. Do a binary tree, reverse search binary tree, or do a, like create a bubble sort from scratch. Stuff that has been done a million times is built into most languages and is completely useless in terms of actual coding. But again, you might have a situation in your interview where they ask you this. The only way to do this is to go back to your school days. So think about when you were in high school or in university and you were studying for a test, what would you do? You'd practice the problems, memorize the problems, do the test, and then forget they ever existed. Follow that exact logic when practicing for these code exams. This isn't testing your coding skills. This is testing your memorization skills. That's it. 
<clears throat> and next thing here is the same thing with interviews. Interviews are just tests. Pick, take them as tests. There's practice interviews online. Do practice interviews with uh, your friends. Do like join a group that does practice interviews with each other. Practice, practice, practice interviews, right? That's going to get you farther. And again, it's treat them like tests. This isn't something that's like fully testing your knowledge of the code base or being able to work in the environment. This is testing your skill of learning how to interview. That's literally what it is. That's the best mindset approach that I've seen to interviews uh, rather than just being like, hey, I'm a good coder. I'm just going to go interview and prove that I'm a good coder. That could work. And I've seen it work before. But realistically, if like I've, I've also seen like 40, 50 people do 40, 50 interviews and not get a callback. And the reality is, is it's probably because they haven't gone through the proper the proper learning methods to be better at interviews. So there are different small things you can do to have a leg up and have a better experience getting your first job too. Because I know a lot of times like this, this kind of grind of lead code and interviews can grind you down. A different way to do this is to go a, a little bit of a different route. You can build a small SaaS. So Matt was talking about earlier, hey, do I need to like publish a full on application and have it like monetize and all that? Well, if you have an idea and you're able to accomplish that from A to B, this isn't a requirement. Again, this is just a little step to differentiate, just one thing you could do, then yeah, do that. Learn the back end, learn the front end. Like just if you have the time and you have the knowledge and you have the passion, this will help you differentiate. Showing that you can come up with an idea, execute on that idea, deploy that idea with all the craziness that happens between all of those. And then even if you generate $10 from that idea, that shows that you can take mon like money, like uh, process in transactions. There's a lot of different steps in this process that show a lot of different skills to a person. So if you've already built a SaaS as a junior developer, as someone that's never worked in the industry, that puts you ahead, obviously, right? This isn't a requirement, but it's just, just a way. Um, another thing you can do and not on top of building a SaaS, I'm saying another thing you can do is contribute to open source. Okay. So there's plenty of open source projects out there that need help. And if you find one that you are able to help in any way, shape or form, just to get the ball rolling a little bit, to get in, con in contact with that community, that's something that you can do to A, practice your coding skills, B, practice your, um, practical coding skills in a way that like someone will actually see what you've coded and give you a code review and potentially you can adjust to that, to whatever they've said back and forth. Contribute, right? So you're contributing to that thing, learning the whole Git process. So you notice I didn't mention Git a lot in the where to start. <clears throat> I think you'll learn a little bit of it, but really the only way to actually learn Git is to get into a project that requires it. And open source is that project. So Open source can open doors for you in that way. I've also seen directly from an open source contributor hired to the full-time staff. So you can get a job by being an open source contributor to a project like Amplification or uh, uh, Vue.js or Svelte or whatever. Like if you're a contributor to the, one of these larger projects and they have a funded team and you've already shown that you have a, an ability to contribute – Obviously, who are they going to go to? A, a random employee, like a random, like, you know, resume or the person that's freely contributed a bunch of code. So that is a step in that direction. Now, that, that won't happen with everyone. That won't happen with every project because not every project is funded. Well, the one, and, there is a way yeah, to ahead. skip all the interviews and stuff, too. Uh, and that is uh, like it, it kind of contributes or kind of uh, puts together the last two things you've said, like contribute to open source. And the next thing you're about to say, find a community. So I'll just touch on it. I don't want to like steal your thunder, but um, if you're, if you like install yourself as someone that's vital, or if you, let's say you are building small projects and people know, know about you, like you have a social media following is a, is a key way to do that. You have a social media following, or you have a bunch of friends that are in the industry, you're in a discord community, whatever. Sometimes you don't even get have to do the interview process because people might be like, I liked how you did X. Can you help us do that? And that's literally your job interview. Can you help us? Yes. What's your rate? Okay, cool. Let's do it. We need help. It's not as it's not the traditional like, what do you like to do for fun? Do you are your GitHub squares green? 
sort numbers with bubbles. You know, it's just, it's a little, it's literally like a conversation. It's like a more organic. Hey, we need some help over here. Can you help us? Yes. Cool. Okay. You're on the team. Moving on. And honestly, that's how most of my contracts have come to be. Just reality. Like I've joined communities and I've helped and I've talked and, you know, with the podcast, promoting ourselves and all that. Most of them have been without pretty much any interview. Now, I've had interviews, a few here and there, even some, a little bit of technical interviews, but they've been very minimal because I focus on this find a community aspect and contributing, right? When you find a community of like-minded people, even if – okay, so there's different com- kinds of communities. There's one community that's really good for you if, you if you're just starting out. Find a community of junior developers that are starting out as well so you can kind of hack the process in the way that like, hey – X, like a community member X and Y have done certain things and it wasn't successful. They can tell you that it wasn't successful. So now you can skip those things. And so you eat, you all contribute to trying to get a job in tech. When one person gets a job, they try to get the other ones hired. I've seen this happen in real life, like many, many times. So if you find your friend group in tech, it's going to help you immensely, like huge amount of help to break in. Like just from sharing stories, just from just hanging out, sharing memes, like everything like that will establish that connection that can last you throughout your entire career, really. That's why it's so important. Like that's, that's one of the reasons that I see a huge value with boot camps as well. I don't have a particular boot camp that I would promote for this because I don't, I've never participated in it. But I've noticed that a lot of boot camp graduates that were successful in the boot camp and were able to connect with all the boot campers around them have gone on to like work for each other's companies. So like one of them will get a job and they'll be like, well, I worked with this guy already for six months in that boot camp, but it was hell, but we did great work together. So just hire him and then they'll get hired. So the industry is very clicky. I would say like a lot of times a company will be like, hey, we're hiring for a dev position on your team. Uh, do you have anyone you recommend before they even open the rec or we've opened the rec Ask them to apply here and let us know uh, if you that, that they know you, and that bypasses like two or three interviews sometimes. Like that's legit. Like that that's a, a real way to get in. So again, going at it alone is going to hurt you way more than it would help you. Like I know some people have a hard time, like branching out, trying to find people, trying to talk to people constantly. But it is a huge skill to learn that process to find the right people and to continue to nurture those relationships as well, even after you find a job. Because again, six months down the line, if you're looking for something new, that could still be a benefit, a beneficial relationship for you to have. And vice versa, like they could be looking for something. Now you can bring on someone that you know onto your team. That's way more interesting and way better than bringing on a random that you've never spoken to and never worked with, right? So it's just finding a community is a difficult one for a lot of people, but I think it's a really important one to take seriously um, from the perspective that Matt said, where you can literally get a job directly from a community or just finding the right people that can drive you towards the right goal. I think I think you can also kind of organically even get into a community in a way where you kind of where you can go into like a, a like minded discord or a like minded group on Reddit or something. And then you can just be a friendly or useful person in there. If people are asking questions, you answer a bunch of questions. If people are asking for tutorials or something, maybe you make the odd tutorial for them and it doesn't have to be the formal blog post. I'm going to post this on Twitter, sort of, again, dictionary definition of it. There are ways to just become super useful in the community. Uh, I watch a collection of uh, YouTube um, hackers. And what I mean by hackers, I mean, they're making their own, they're literally hacking together their own little devices. Like they're putting together their own N64s that are portable and stuff like that. They're not hacking banks or anything, anything nefarious. But, um, these these guys are in their own little community that I wasn't even aware. And he was like, oh, I, I'm terrible at coding and I needed to code an assembly. And I just went on Discord and then somebody somebody, you know, told me how to do it and they helped me for hours. And that's a very organic pr- way for that assembly developer to get found out. And then now I know that if I need an assembly developer, I might literally join that Discord and reach out in that Discord and be like, yo, I need help with this assembly thing. And that's the main reason I said to you, Matt, that you wouldn't have to go through the original process is because you've already established yourself to some degree in the, in the, in the industry. 
like when you've established yourself in the industry, this process becomes very different for you because of exactly what you said, right? Like you don't have to have all this stuff. Like I don't even have a portfolio. I'll be honest. The last four contracts that we've had, I haven't shown anything. It's just because I've had people vouch for me from a community that I'm in or because of the people, the fact that I've already worked with people and they've just brought me back on. They already seen my work. So it's just a different prospect. But when you're starting out and you have nothing, that's where the process helps. For sure. Um, but that's it. That's it for me. I don't know if you have anything else to add, but uh, I think we can roll up the old conclusion. Yeah, I think uh, I think that was a, a you know a good little look at the road ahead for junior developers, and you know hopefully the uh, layoffs slow down and whatever. But I mean that's just the market. Once again, it's one of these things where I'm not afraid of it. Like I mean, it sucks, and I'll be afraid enough to for self preservation. I mean, I'm not going to be like running around freaking out because I mean it's going to happen regardless. I'm not going to be able to be like stop the layoffs. But anyway, if you like content like this. Please check us out on that Patreon to support the show. That's patreon.com slash HTML, the things and many thanks to our $3 tier patrons, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital and blueblackdigital.com, Tim from the Web Hacker on the webhacker.com, Bipash Dash from Nineblock Media, nineblockmedia.com, Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com, Mecca Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca, Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se, Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale, and Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Feel free to leave a comment or a review in the platform that you're listening to this on. And before my voice dies again, we're going to sign off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. Web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. On Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.